These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Alan Parker said, sometimes with the British film industry, it's hard to know if we're waving or drowning. Let's find out. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Pat Kelman. Welcome. Hello. Good to have you on board, Pat. For those for those listening that don't know, and that'll be most people listening that don't know, Pat and I share an apartment when we uh, when we go to Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> and I've known each yeah, other. We... And I've known each other for how long now? Is it five years? It must be. Yeah, it must be going on for five years or so. Yeah, and uh, the yeah. powers of shooting people, eh? I know, I know. It, yeah, because basically I think what was happening was I was looking for somewhere to, to, to stay and it kind of came up. And uh, yeah, because you guys were really well established in that apartment, I think. And I kind of very gratefully uh, became part of the team. Well, to be honest with you, you, you joined the second year. The, f- the first year was the year before. And then one of the guys dropped out sort of towards the build up to Cannes, which was yeah. why David posted on shooting people, seeing if anyone was looking for a room, which then you came on board, and as you as you keep coming back and we keep going back, we've sort of got ourselves, um, for those people that don't go to Cannes Film Festival, going there is not the exotic thing that you see on the telly, it's a hell of a lot of walking, and the main point of our apartment is, it's about, <laughs> ten, it's about ten minutes walk from from the main bit of action, isn't it? Um, yeah. Where you can see films and where you can go to the marketplace, um, as opposed to thirty euros a pop to get a taxi back to Joanne Le Pen, which was my uh, my previous uh, destination before this one. So it's all yeah. about convenience, not about the glamour. That's right, and the four, you know, normally it's like four or five of us sharing this yeah, one yeah. bedroom apartment that just happens to have some pull-out beds in the in the living room area. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> let's let's make sure we pour on this. This definitely isn't glamour. Uh, although obviously, once we leave, <laughs> once we leave, the 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 the, the, the croisette is is obviously a great leveller, and we are exotic and glamorous from that point forward. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Well, look, we've not, we've obviously not come on the podcast to talk about you and I recollecting renting an apartment in Cannes. Pat is one of the most, I mean, I, 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 diligent sounds like the wrong word. Um, 
you're, def- you're definitely one of the most cineast people I know. Um, and your uh, your duty to film when we're in Cannes is phenomenal. Um, every year, I think. I, I mean, can you remember how many films you saw in 2018? Can I think I saw in 2018 because there was a slight. It, well, it was an incident we're going to talk about in a moment about the beginning of a new business. Mm. But basically, um, that year I think I saw 16 films in about five days. Yes. Um, uh, but I actually saw most of those in the first two or three days um, when I was there. But normally I try to see at least four films a day. Yeah, yeah. I and, and just to put that in context, dear listener, I saw one film. That just gives <laughs> you... <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm shameful in my gallivanting around trying to... Trying to uh, I don't know what I'm trying to do, to be honest with you, but I do go... Um, but anyway, but out of out of our wonderful apartment, which is why I start there, is a new chapter has emerged. Do you want to do you want to do you want to talk about why you weren't watching as many films towards the end of two thousand eighteen? Can and what's emerged since, and why we're talking now? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, because my background is as an actor and filmmaker, really, um, and so that's how I kind of started going to Cannes, um, and then. You know, I had a bit of a break from it. I kind of dropped out of filmmaking for about eight or nine years. And um, when I started coming back to Cannes, it was actually my holiday. <laughs> I was kind of turning up to watch movies because that's, mm. you know, that's been my life since I was a little kid that I've been um, pretty much obsessed with movies. And um, so I'd be coming up watching four films a day or whatever. And that was my holiday, really. And this year, um, I kind of got hit by an amazing film about halfway through the festival, which I saw totally at random. I knew nothing about it and uh, basically couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was a film that actually has been released since by Mubi and uh, it now will crop up occasionally on their 30-day rotation. Hmm. But um, it was this Romanian film called Touch Me Not, which not horror related, but it's very about personal development and stuff. And it really hit me. Yeah. And um, I came back and I was raving about it. And I remember at a party, at the China party with David, who kind of organises, he's like the, uh, the, the, I'm trying to think of the word, the guru of 606. He's our team apartment. leader. He's our team uh, leader. He, he, he is indeed. <coughs> he's our team leader. Um, and um, I remember being at the China party with him and he asked me to tell him, tell him more about this film. Yeah, because I've been clearly thinking about it for days. Mm. And I told him and he said, well, do you think it's going to get a release in the UK? And I went, no. And he went, well, what would you do in an ideal world? And I just went, well, I'd love to put a bid in and see if we can distribute it. And suddenly it was like everything clicked. Like my background as an actor and the and the filmmaking and of course having to promote your own films when you're making them and all those kinds of things just kind of came together and I thought, hang on, I I know how to do this. And so um, within like 24 hours, we'd got a meeting with the sales agent. I put a presentation together, and um, the the film distribution business was born. And. Uh, we didn't get that particular film, but what really impressed me was that I was taken seriously as a 
as someone who knows what they're talking about and actually worthy of consideration as a distributor. And also, um, I kind of knew who to talk to. So when they said, oh, you need to talk to such and such a person at um, Creative Europe about funding, I was like, yeah, well, I've, I've had contact with that person before. Mm. And I was able to just give her a call and say, can I have a meeting tomorrow? And of course, you know, what can's like, everyone's there. So it's, it was really easy. So it was kind of like I knew what to do and I kind of had the right network to be able to start doing it. Um, and then, of course, the next thing was, you know, we didn't get that particular film, but we then went, well, why don't we just do it anyway? Just, and what you're calling yourselves? Haha, <laughs> well, this is down to you, mate, actually. Because <laughs> I remember, it genuinely is, because I remember <clears throat> us sitting in the apartment. Yeah. And David and I were kind of going, well, what are we going to call it? And and I remember somebody said something like, well, I mean, if you're releasing Touch Me Not, you might as well call yourself Touch Me Not Distribution. I went, well, but the thing is, we might not get that film. We need something much more kind of overarching, you know, being you know, much more kind of, not generic, but something, you know, to kind of, that, that, that isn't related to one project. And you just looked up and went, well, it's got to be 606, isn't it? <laughs> So you're so you're you are six oh six distribution. We are six oh six distribution. Yeah, fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Now, just 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 for the layperson listening in, what yeah. what is the role? Just briefly, then, what's the role of the distributor versus the role of the sales agent, and how does that work for film? Yeah, um, we kind of do kind of similar things in the but on a different scale. Mm-hmm. So basically, the sales agent is the person who works with the filmmaker to sell the film around the world. Mm-hmm. So basically, um, and of course, you know, none, none of these steps are compulsory. If you're making a very low budget film, you might just want to kind of get the thing out yourself. Yeah. You know, so these are, you know, kind of stages in the conventional industry, I guess we'd call it. Yeah. And so you've got the, the filmmaker. The next level up is the sales agent who would take on the... The, the responsibility of selling that film on the marketplace. I've usually got a number of films that they're going to try and sell that year. Mm. And, um, and then they basically deal with the distributors for each individual territory or number of territories. Right. So for example, I'm looking for rights for the UK and Ireland. Okay. Um, and there might be somebody else who's doing the, the getting the rights for France, somebody else for Germany, somebody else for the United States. You know, basically, we break the world down into different territories and, and they try and sell it piecemeal. Now, for a sales agent, the ideal thing would be to sell it to a company that's like a multinational. So then they haven't got so many different <laughs> different yeah. uh, people they have to deal with. But um, in my case, as a distributor, I'm looking to get the rights for the UK and Ireland. And I will then basically try and get the movie out in the UK and Ireland into so, the so that means that, and that means then that while you have those rights anybody whether that be a pop-up cinema or the local cine, cine world or view cinema in your town would need to pay and or get at least permission from yourself to exhibit the film yeah absolutely yeah yeah so basically I'm responsible for all of that stuff in the in the UK and Ireland for that particular film then I get my split of the money from the cinemas 
and the whichever exhibition it might be a pop-up or whatever mm. they then pay me their percentage of whatever they take at the door i then pay the uh, sales agent whatever percentage i've agreed with them from my takings mm. and then they pay the actual film company whatever they've agreed as the percentage of their their takings so um yeah, I mean, Stephen follows um, the amazing um, analyst and very good screenwriter um, who uh, does a lot of stuff about this, has produced a really good infographic that basically shows that chain as the money passes down from the cinema ticket down to the, the filmmaker. Brilliant. Well, um, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes to, uh, to give people that picture. Now, if you didn't get the film that inspired you to start the company... Where, where are you in terms of films that you have got the British and or Irish rights for? Where, where, yeah. are, you, where are you with, with 606? Well, we've currently got three films. Okay, um, cool. Basically, yeah, because basically what I did was um, once we decided to really go for it, I, I then started contacting sales agents and kind of going, well, what's available? What sort of things are around? And um, basically, initially, we're, I'm, I'm going very much the the art house route that, you know, kind of European films that have fallen through the cracks. Okay. So they might be festival successes, <clears throat> films that I've loved when I've seen them at festivals or just heard about them. Yeah. And for some reason, they've not been picked up for the UK. Often because maybe they're a bit niche or because big distributors like Curzon or um, Picture House, they've only got a limited number of films that they can cover in a year. And they're going to go for the for the ones they think are going to make the most money and be the most um, kind of biggest publicity or whatever the biggest. Um, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sellers, you know, they're going to go for the big guns. Um, and so, you know, there are lots of smaller distributors. One thing that's great about the UK scene that I've discovered since we started is that there are lots of very small UK distributors, a couple in the middle, and then you've got the big guns, basically. And, okay. Um, and so there's lots of opportunity for niche, um, you know, for niche markets and niche product to come out. And basically, I'm, I've always been a fairly traditional art house guy. So I love my French movies. I love my films with a, a female lead, actually. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, so basically, I was looking for films that I thought had a, a strong female lead that would appeal to me, preferably with some kind of name in them. Because it is a market, after all, you've got to find a way of selling this to, of to actually, um, you know, we're not make, we're not looking to make a massive profit, but we're looking to break money. even, so we can <laughs> so we can keep. Well, yeah, because we want to keep it basically because you know it's a little industry that I'd love to keep going for a little little company. I'd love to keep going for years because you know I can't imagine anything better than going to festivals, watching movies, and then sharing the ones that I love with people that I think might appreciate them. You know. Um, so we've got three. Um, we had one that came out on the 21st of December last year, mm-hmm. um, which was a French coming-of-age movie set in the world of ballet and contemporary dance, and it was called Polina. Right. And a gorgeous film, um, directed by a woman, obviously female main character. Um, there was a little cameo role from Juliette Binoche as a French choreographer in it. And um, and it was co-directed by um, a well-known uh, contemporary dance choreographer, um, Angeline Prell-Jokash. 
um, who apparently is world famous. Uh, I have, obviously I'm, it wasn't a world that I knew yeah. when I looked at the film. I just <clears throat> watched the film and just fell in love with the main character, and basically just follows this girl from the age of six when she starts in Russia training or auditioning to, to train for the uh, for the Bolshoi. Hmm. And uh, basically, when she gets old enough to actually qualify for the Bolshoi and she gets in, she actually gets seduced by a guy who's in the company who's French and he's going off to do contemporary dance in France. And so she basically goes off with him and explores this other world. And so she's in this because she's always been very um, creative. Yeah. And, And of course, training for ballet it's one of those things where it's all about discipline. It's all about rigor. It's all about getting those particular moves absolutely right. And, and so she felt constrained by that. But when she went and did contemporary dance, unfortunately she was too, what's the word? Um, yeah, too rigorously trained. So it's like the expressive part of her wasn't coming out. And so the whole film, the coming of age part of it is her actually discovering her own voice as an artist Fantastic. As the film was, and it's a beautiful film, and it's, it did, you know, it played, you know, lots of little cinemas around the country. It's still on release until the end of May, uh, end of March, mm-hmm. in the cinemas, and there's still about 15 venues that are yet to show it. Um, and it's it's been very well received, and um, that was our tester. That was the one that we were kind of finding out where we, you know, finding out the ropes really. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Sounds like sounds like a relative in, success. Yeah, and 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 in three weeks' time, as of recording, yeah. no, a month's time as of recording, first of March, yeah, we've got um, Charlotte Rampling yeah. in uh, a film that she won Best Actress at the Venice Film Festival, um, and it's a movie. I know. <laughs> I mean, you know, the thing is, I'm sitting here going, "We're a brand new company." With no track record, and our first movie's got Binoche in it. Second movie is an award winner with Charlotte Rampling. What on earth is going on? You know, um, but um, it's in, in a in a really good way. Mm. Um, yeah, so we've got this movie Hannah, and it's um, an extraordinary film. It's brilliantly shot. It's gorgeous to look at. It was shot on thirty-five. Wow. Um, yeah, shot by Chase Irvin, who does. The cinematography for Todd Haynes, he shot, um, and various people like, yeah, it's wow, beautiful. It? I mean, it's, and, and, um, it's directed by an Italian guy called Andrea Palaoro. And, um, it's basically about a woman whose husband gets put in jail mm-hmm. for a crime which we don't know what it is. And basically, um, you know, she's in her seventies. She's living this drab existence and, her world just starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Like her, her, her adult child won't allow her to come to her, her granddaughter's birthday party. Right. Um, even to the point where she, the family dog rejects her <laughs> because, because she's, the dog is, is, is the husband's dog. <laughs> you know, it's even things like that. Um, and and basically, um, you just watch this woman's world get smaller and smaller and smaller. It's The director described it as an existential jallo. Oh, lovely. I know, what an extraordinary phrase. And I was kind mm. of trying to, trying to break that down. But it is, it's like a horror movie. 
I actually watched a, a preview of it at the Cornwall Film Festival last November, where we were invited to show it. Mm. And watching it with an audience, I could just feel the tension in the room. Is it like a, fr- my friend, a, a film critic friend of mine, David Moult, who's been on the podcast a couple of times, <clears throat> he, he once described Locke as, as being an emotionally violent film. Does that, yeah. is that is that what you're getting at? That kind of thing. I am where... to- I'm totally getting at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Emotion- it's well, it, it, it's it's emotionally violent because basically you're just watching this woman fall apart or watch yeah, her yeah, world yeah, fall yeah. apart. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all these external pressures on her. Um, and it's it's an extraordinary film. She's in every single frame. Blimey. Um, and it's been compared to. People like films like Jane Dielman, the Chantal Ackerman film from the 70s, and it's very formal in mm-hmm. the way it's shot. It's very rigorous. It's it's not an easy watch, but it's it's an extraordinary film. And mm-hmm. um, and that's coming out the first of March at all your local art house type venues. So it's it's going to be you know you know it's going to play the, the usual suspects really. We're, we're at the moment we can't confirm whether it's going to get into Curzon or Picture House, but We've got someone helping us. Uh, we've actually hired someone to help us with the bookings to try and get us into that next level of, um, of, well, fingers of crossed, cinemas. Fingers crossed, mate. And Rampling is coming over to do press for us. So Fantastic that's, news. I know, I know. So she's. Um, we've already got one screening open for bookings at the BFI South Bank. Yeah. On the on the twenty seventh of February. Yeah. It's a preview and we're hoping that, that Rampling will be able to actually attend that. I mean she's gonna be around, so the the hope is that she's actually we haven't advertised it as such yet. Okay. We, um and we're also talking with a big cinema in London to do a proper Q and A screening with her, which we can't confirm yet because it's not been confirmed. Of course, but, let's not yeah. tempt fate, let's not tempt fate. So go on, that's, that's, two, that's two fantastic stories. Go on, and, and then the third one. And the third one, oh my God. Oh, the third one. Um, it was one of those films that I kind of, I saw it on a screener and just went, oh my God, I love this film and I really want to get it out there. And um, I, I actually didn't think we could afford it. It was one of those that I thought was out of our range. Mm. And... Uh, it's a German film, and it has been winning awards everywhere. <laughs> it has just been winning awards everywhere. I mean, I saw on Facebook the day before <clears throat> yesterday that it's just won Best Director, Best Screenplay, and Best Editing at the Austrian Film Awards, which is the equivalent, the equivalent of the BAFTAs. Yeah. It's, it's won similar at the German, but... It also won the. Um, notice I haven't mentioned the title yet. I'm I was going to say, I was about to say, you're going to have to tell me what the title is soon. <laughs> I'm kind of building up to that. Um, yeah, and it won the. Um, it came second in the Lux Prize of the European Parliament for Best European Film. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a, it's a German movie called Styx, as yeah. in S T Y X, as in the River of Death. Okay. And it's. Um, it's oh oh Stu, it's a jaw-droppingly good film. It's um, directed by a guy called Wolfgang Fischer. It's his second feature, mm-hmm. and it basically did we see all is lost 
together at Cannes, the Robert Redford film in the boat. No, no, um, I, didn't see I can't remember if we saw it together or not. But anyway, um, basically, the film is about this woman who is a um, she's an emergency doctor, very accomplished, and she takes her holiday. And her idea of a great holiday is to get a boat on her own and sail from Gibraltar to Ascension Island. So basically, she's sailing across the is it, it must be the Atlantic, mm-hmm. but she's basically sailing right down past Africa towards Ascension Island on That's her it. own Wowzer. in a boat. And and so basically the film starts off with literally we're just watching this woman do what she does as a really amazing sailor. And there's something brilliant, I think, about watching someone who's really good at what they do without comment on it. They're just, they're just doing it. It's not a big deal. But mm-hmm. there's something very fascinating about watching people do stuff. And then there's a storm, and of course she's fine. And they're probably going, well, where's the tension? Where's the whatever? But um, when the storm clears, she spots a little fishing boat about about 200 yards away, yeah. and she's off the coast of Africa. And the <coughs> fishing boat is in trouble. It's sinking. And it's overloaded with refugees. Oh, my word. Yeah. So she is on her own. In the, in, the, in the middle of nowhere, off the coast of Africa, with this sinking boat literally 200 yards away. She's a doctor, but she's on her own. And there must be about 80 or 90 people or more on this boat, and it's sinking. What does she do? Well, don't tell us anymore. That sounds like um, that sounds like enough of a setup for a film that would just be take you everywhere, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary piece of work. And I remember watching it, even on a screener at home, and it, oh, it's tense. It's it, it's an extraordinary piece of work. And again, it's led by a woman who is in every frame of the film. Suzanne Wolfe gives one of the most extraordinary performances that I've seen in a long time. And um, and yeah, so that we've, we've got a date for that now, which is the twenty sixth of April. Um, but it's also playing at the Glasgow Film Festival in. Yeah. February. Okay. It's playing at the Borderlands Festival in the end. Of, I think it's beginning of March, and um, and Glasgow Film Festival has asked if we can put it on as part of their Glasgow Film Festival on tour program. Out of their out of the entire festival, they select four films that they then tour around Scotland. Um, to other venues and kind of present it as the four films they've chosen from their their festival, and it's and it's one of those on their on their agenda. They're, they're booking that out for us now. And Wolfgang, the director, is going to come over at the end of end of uh, end of well, yeah, about, about a week before the film comes out on April 26th. He's coming over. We're hoping to do Q and A screenings around the country, not just in London. Um, so you know all the like. Bristol, Exeter, Manchester, you know, Newcastle, Liverpool, you know, all these, all these kind of key places that we'd love to people to see it and uh, and actually engage with the with the director because he gives a really good Q and A. So um, yeah, so that sticks. So so, so let's, somehow, run, let's run the three run three titles by us again. Then so you've got you've got already out is is Polina and that's going to be available on download. You know, on, on iTunes, etc., in the next 
couple of months, I hope. We haven't quite got that okay. sorted yet, but that's because we've got the rights to everything, not just the cinemas. We've also got iTunes. We've got selling it to Sky. We've got selling it to Netflix. We've got all the yeah. rights for those things. Um, so we've got Polina, yeah. which is currently around. We've got Hannah coming out on March the 1st. And then we've got Sticks on April 26th. Well, I mean, it's it's hard for people to who don't know you to 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 to, to picture what I'm hearing. But I I got used to enjoying films vicariously in Cannes by how enthusiastic and how much your love of film come across when you'd seen something special. But to now hear you talk about the fact that you're not just telling people uh, how much you love a film, you're you're putting your sort of heart and soul behind the film to get people to watch it is. Uh, I can hear it in every syllable in your voice. Oh, thank you, mate. Yeah, well, it's... It, yeah, I, I, I can't quite believe it. <laughs> you know, it's still one of those things where, you know, I... Yeah, for years... You, you are I've the just... kid in the sweet shop, the the pig in shit, the busman on his holiday, <laughs> aren't you? All, all wrapped into one. Yeah, yeah. It was like I went... I was invited to a thing um, in in France last weekend... Uh, weekend before last... Yeah. called the Rendezvous de Fran- French Cinema. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, that was like the Cannes Marketplace, but just for French films in a hotel in Paris. Wow. And, yeah, I mean, they, they, had, they, had once, they had a multiplex where they were showing films on all five screens from 9am to 7pm. Mm. Then, then they basically had all the big sales agents, well, not just the big, they had every sales agent in France pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, available for meetings. So, on the Saturday of that weekend, I met. I had fifteen thirty-minute meetings with different sales agents about things that are coming up in French cinema in the next year. <laughs> so, out of, just out of interest, for some, obviously for someone with such a, such a love of film, to then yeah. to then add in this commercial element, which obviously is not necessarily about you know you're not trying to find the next Transformers film, Benny Stretch Imagination. Um, no, but how do you? How are you? To, are you having to sort of retrain yourself at all in terms of trying to watch a film and still, you know, keep enjoyment while obviously thinking what would be good for six or six distribution? Is there is there is there a separation of the two? Is there a? It's that's, that's a really that's an amazing question actually. The um, it's really tricky, but one thing that I've always been able to do, and I think whenever I've talked about films. I've always had the the commercial prospects in the back of my mind mm. when I watch a film. I've, you know, I, you know, I, I, I love movies, and even when I was making them and acting in them, I'd be going, "Well, this one's going to do all right, and this one could, you know, be a goer." And it's like knowing knowing what you think your your audience is going to love. Mm-hmm. And I've always been kind of, and my audience is basically me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and and so when I watch a movie, I think, yeah, I see, I, for example, I watched the screener last night of a film that um, Studio Canal was trying to sell to me. Right. And and I was watching it, and I was like, I love this movie. I don't know how many people uh, other people would. Hello, listener. This is me interrupting my own podcast just as Pat Kelman finishes speaking. Um, apologies. Um, that's because 
the recording you've just listened to was meant to be the introduction uh, segment, a bit of a plug, I suppose, for 606 Distribution, and then we would segue into Pat Kelman's Five Great British Horror Films, the offshoot series, which some of you listeners may already be familiar with. Instead, I got so engrossed with um, the exciting news and developments of 606 Distribution that I decided to just let it run, and we were soon up to 30 minutes, and I thought, there we go, we have a podcast. So, this will go out first, and don't be worried, dear listener, we did did record a five great British horror films, and that will come out in a week or two after this one. So, thank you for your patience, and now, to a false ending, which I added, talking to Pat, when I interrupted him to say, I'm going to make this into a separate podcast. Back to the conversation I had with Pat. Well, look, thank you very much, Pat, for uh, introducing the world to uh, 606. I'm glad I was uh, at least part of his genesis. <laughs> Fundamental, mate. <laughs> the Britflix podcast is provided absolutely free. If you want to help me get the podcast out to more people, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. Or if you want to help me out directly... There's a link in the show notes to my Patreon page. All contributions are welcome. And the music is by Chris Reed of thecomposers.tv. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.